It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided our world has become? We desperately need stories of peace and healing. We find the bridge builders across the globe who are stepping into the divides of culture and bringing understanding, compassion, and reconciliation. And now, here's your hosts, Jonathan Sanborn and Lisa Jernigan. And hello again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Counterculture. I am your host, Jonathan Sanborn. And I am Lisa Jernigan. How are you this fine day? We're doing good. Doing yeah. good. Coming off, starting a new week and or finishing an old week or whatever you're listening to this, right? <laughs> That's it's, right. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. It is this time. You know, but one, speaking of time, I realized I missed a milestone in this show. What was that? that? Our 100th show. Seriously, that that's just, a mi- that is a huge milestone. I, we've I, we've been doing a hundred shows, and you've joined us for the last dozen or so. Right, and you know that's, that's amazing. That Congratulations! Is. So this is our hundred and first show. Wow! And so, and we're just getting started. I know we are just getting started. <laughs> so, for those of you just tuning in, counterculture is we're really be a, we're a show about peacemaking, really about. Mm-hmm. Finding the bridge builders, the people who are stepping into uh, you know complicated issues, and choosing not just to be a warrior and fighting, but actually, how do you do with two divided places, two divided sides, and how do you bring new messaging and new ways to approach these issues? Right. And, it's about communication, right, and having conversations that are respectful and honoring. Abs- that's exactly it. And so today. We have uh, calling in from the sunny Tucson. We have Lori Navrotsky on the phone. Hello, Lori. Hello. How are you? Not too shabby. <laughs> so we're we're really <laughs> glad you 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 took the time out of your busy schedule. Lori is the uh, recovery services manager at Hands of Hope Tucson, and uh, has and served there for oh, t- 2006. Wow. I mean, goodness. And so. Just Lori and I know each other. I was also a board member of Hands of Hope and just love the the the, the mission and ministry there. Um, Hands of Hope is a um, is a Christ centered organization promoting a culture of life, hope, and healing uh, for those uh, facing unexpected pregnancy. Um, and so she, they're just an amazing organization. So Lori has a background in counseling and with from from Grand Canyon. And just she's lived it. She's lived the the work, the hard work of counseling and walking alongside those who've just gone who've gone through all of this. And so, Lori, we're we're excited to have you on the show. And you're you're. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better person to be on the show right now. Well, thank you. Don't get cocky. No, 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 absolutely not. No, I'm just kidding. No, but you know, we're we're. It's a crazy time. Mm. It is really a crazy, you know, and I think these are the sort of things that unearth the deep divides that are in our culture. And more than ever, we need counterculture voices. Absolutely. Because a lot of times Agreed. we either bury our head in the sand, right? we like, I don't want to deal with it. It's too complicated. It's too messy. Yeah. Or we go at another extreme. Yeah. Right. So how do we kind of go like, where's the middle place where we can have come together and promote unity, even though we yeah. might, two sides might just disagree on it, but we can still have conversation. Now, you you right. said, uh, Lisa, that picture that you saw, right? What what was that? So so Friday when when the ruling came down, you know, and mm-hmm. I just turned on the TV to see, and I saw an image that I will not forget. That I, when I saw this image, I'm like, this is 
this says everything. And it was two women that were on different sides of the issue, one pro, one, you know. They each had a megaphone, and they were looking face-to-face with their megaphones, and their (laughs) megaphones were probably two inches apart, maybe even touching each other. And they're screaming at each other mm-hmm. in the megaphone from their <laughs> perspectives. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that is what we do. We're just we are so quick to pick up a megaphone in life and scream our opinion. And we're not listening at all to the other person. Mm. We're just screaming. And you go, and how is that working for you? Yeah, is that right? <laughs> yeah, lots. It's changing everybody's mind. The more, when someone's shouting at you, you go, I wonder what they're saying to me. Right. Right. Well, you're not even taking the time. You're so quick to get your opinion out there because you believe so much that you are right. Right. That you don't care about the other person. Yeah. So there's a lot of communication happening in that besides the screaming. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, and this is an emotional issue, right? Sure. Yes. So there's there's high emotion on both sides. Um, And so when we're speaking out of our emotions as opposed to out of being reasonable, that's what happens. And then we get defensive and then it just keeps escalating. So Lori, you work at the deepest level of, of, of this. And so why is it so emotional? Well, it's so on, on the side of those who support abortion rights, um, you know, I, I think it's emotional because they are viewing it as a right being taken away from them. Mm -hmm. So, Research has shown that a woman who finds out that she's pregnant and doesn't want to be, she viscerally reacts to that as though she's just been given a terminal diagnosis. Yeah. Mm. And so when you're when you're looking at it from that standpoint of, you know, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen, um, and now that right is being taken away from me to do something about it, that's going to heighten the emotion in it for sure. And then obviously on the other side, you have the people who are saying, you know, abortion is intentionally killing a living human being. That's not okay. And we have to protect these babies. And so obviously that side's going to be just as emotional. Right. And I think we often think we understand one side of that quite well. Like we think. Right. And our emotions gradually view, and then therefore, if, if my emotions are I'm protecting life or I'm protecting my my freedom, my humanity, and my 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 being a woman, um, I mean, those are so deep that it's just so easy. Then anyone who challenges that is therefore evil or just and bad, wrong, and right. wrong, wrong or wrong. evil, wrong, exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. Lori, that was such a good point you brought up about the emotions when a woman finds out that she's pregnant and it's not something she desired, that it's the same. That is really, when you understand that insight, Mm -hmm. it helps you go, okay, I understand why you feel that way then. Because it's so emotionally charged. The problem is a lot of times we don't take time to understand the emotions of the other side. Mm -hmm. We're just so quick to only see our side. But when you see that other side, you're like, well, that makes sense why they would feel that way mm-hmm. and why would they would do that. Yeah, and I, it doesn't mean you have to agree I with them. It's just like you understand exactly. them. Right. And I personally had many, many conversations with people who are absolutely the, the opposite of my views. And we've been able to interact and, and have a very civil conversation. 
um, because I was willing to listen to them mm. and hear their side and their perspective and, you know, ask them questions and really want to understand where they were coming from. And then they gave me the same respect. So even though in, in a lot of those conversations, I didn't change their mind, um, I did change their mind about people who are on the, you know, the quote unquote pro-life side of it, because I was one of the first people that was willing to listen to what they had mm-hmm. to say. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a matter of just being respectful and, and really wanting to understand why they're thinking the way they're thinking. Laura, your your posture is so healthy. And I, I think you're because we often think about how to win the debate. And so <laughs> exactly. if we if we approach a conversation or even a post like how I'm going to win, here's my the rightness of my views. But you've taken like even in someone who maybe, you know, they have a whole, like how you've chosen the posture of first seeking to understand mm-hmm. and you've just diffused a lot of that emotional hostility, right? Yes. Well, you lowered the temperature. And, yeah. The temperature is really high <laughs> yeah. with right. the emotions. And so exactly. how do we lower the temperature so that we can actually have a conversation and listen? Yeah, and I yeah, and I think the, the biggest thing with that is just, you know, if you're talking with somebody on the opposite side of this, to, to just be the one to initiate that, you know, I really want to understand what you believe and why you believe it. So can you tell me, you know, what that is? You know, why do you support um, abortion rights? Why do you think it should be legal? You know, what are your reasons for that? And then just be willing to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so, you know, it, somebody's got to take that high road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you're willing to be the one to kind of make that first gesture of let's talk about this instead of screaming at each other, then that can bring it way down. Absolutely. Lori, do you think that so many times because there's extremes on both sides and we see that and we usually see those people in the news, right? extreme on each side. And so do you think that affects a lot of times how we go and see the other side? We see them through the lens of an extreme voice. Oh, absolutely. And so then we respond (laughs) to a a normal person as though they're the extreme voice. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I can remember feeling that way. I mean, I've, I've worked with an organization years ago that actually went on to college campuses and universities um, with a, a pro-life display um, with the intent of talking with the students there. And the first time that I went out, my assumption was that everyone on that campus was going to be out to attack mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And that was so wrong. Yes, there were people who had that posture, but the vast majority were willing to stand and have a conversation. So I misjudged the other side and was pleasantly surprised that it really wasn't as horrible as I was expecting it to be. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the same goes for because, yeah, we've got crazies on our side, too, and, you know, I have to be willing to admit that. Yeah. And I also, I know I don't like it when I'm labeled the crazy yes. like instantly right. I get put into in a, bucket, right? a bucket of like, Oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm a religious oppressor who's going to put, you know, force women to be birthing machines, you know, and right. because of whatever I might hold, you don't even know, you don't even know me. You don't know my position, but there's just these assumptions. They put you in the crazy category, right. like the, 
that the the HBO special. <laughs> you know, I'm that right. guy. You know, <laughs> I'm that guy. And or I'm just because I'm a man, I'm instantly an oppressor. Right. You know, and so right. you don't. It's. Well, and it goes back to how we see people, how we treat them, right? right? So if I see you that Mm -hmm. way, I'm going to treat you that way. Right. Yeah. That's right. I won't treat you that way. I see you beyond that crazy. You are a little crazy, but, you know, it's okay. (laughs) I I live with three women. They totally oppress me. (laughs) The role is reversed. I'm not – I'm just kidding. I am not oppressed. (laughs) But I'm I'm not in charge either. But I'm not not oppressed. (laughs) That's for another show. That's another show. (laughs) Lori, so what was it that brought you into going, I've got to be involved in this and that drew you into being in leadership at Hands of Hope? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I will scrunch this down into a a soundbite. I grew up in a a Christian home. I grew up going to church um, and... I never heard abortion talked about um, at home or in the church. And so, you know, I I probably would have said that I was pro-life, but I certainly didn't know why I felt that way. And when I was in high school, I was actually um, sexually abused by the youth pastor in my church, Mm. and I became pregnant. and this was in 84, so 11 years after the Roe v. Wade decision. I knew nothing about it. I, I honestly thought abortion was illegal at the time. Um, and so, so I mean, I, I did have something inside of me that, that said abortion is wrong. I thought it was illegal. Um, but he, you know, over the course of several weeks, um, convinced me that abortion was what should happen. And so when I was 10 weeks pregnant in 84, I had an abortion. Wow. Um, And then for the next 20 years, had all sorts of issues. Um, I began drinking, abusing alcohol, eating disorder, um, angry, depressed, anxious, you know, just all of that kind of stuff. Um, Got into uh, an alcoholic marriage um, and didn't realize that, that all stemmed from what had happened. And certainly some of that was from the sexual abuse. I, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to take away from that. But once I got into counseling, I realized that the bulk of those issues came from the fact that I had had the abortion. Mm. Um, so it was in 2005 that I started counseling um, with a Christian counselor and, and really started working through all of the stuff. And the crisis at the time, it was called Crisis Pregnancy Centers in Tucson. Mm-hmm. And I would drive by there on my way to work all the time and, you know, would kind of look at it and like, hmm, maybe I should do something over there. But I made the assumption that because I had had an abortion, I would not be welcome there. Mm-hmm. And so it took a while. And I finally, it, the church that I was involved in at the time had some, uh, advertisements about uh, volunteering there. And so I called and said that I would be interested in doing that. And that's what got me involved. So I started out as a volunteer um, and then came on staff um, and then ended up going back um, to school to GCU to get my counseling degree. Um, And so it's just kind of evolved from there. So I I know both sides of the issue. 
Um, I know what it's like to be in that situation, to have nobody else to talk to. Back in 1984, there weren't many crisis pregnancy centers around. Hands of Hope was one of the first 10 um, centers like this that became established, and they started in 84. Mm. So um, at the time that I was going through it, there wasn't that kind of resource available. Wow. Thank you for sharing your story. That it got, oh, hits welcome. us in the gut, yeah. right? It's like, wow. Um, did you find that coming on staff and being there, because if you said you started your counseling in 2005 and you kind of came on staff there in 2006, it was, has that been a part of your healing journey, just being involved and having these conversations with other women and giving back in a way that giving them something you didn't receive? Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, I, I'm certainly not saying that everyone who has been through that, you know, that you have to get involved to the extent that sure. I have. I just, I definitely knew that God was calling me um, into that kind of work for sure. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely did because it, it, um, it helped me. I started out working with the women who were coming in for pregnancy tests. So just being able to offer that kind of information and help um, and options to them when they were in that situation, that was something I never got. Mm-hmm. I never received any yeah. information on prenatal development, fetal development, um, options, nothing. It was just go into the clinic, sign the paper, and okay, let's do it. Um, So being able to do that for sure. But then I I would say that I definitely found my niche in the counseling side of it, helping those who have already made that decision. Um, Because again, that's a really hard place to be when, when you're sitting feeling ashamed, feeling guilty, feeling like, okay, maybe God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Um, And then a lot of times our churches are silent on the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't say much. There's not a whole lot of help offered. Even going to a counselor, you don't necessarily get help for that. Um, and then when you've got, you know, the situation that you have now where people are screaming mm-hmm. at the top of their lungs about either you're a horrible person for considering abortion or you should be happy and proud that you've had one, you know, where does where do those people sit then who have made that decision and are struggling with it? Mm-hmm. So true. Like, where do people go? Because like, healing right. is so like and seeing healing on both sides. Like you said, I love that yeah. you're going because you were that woman and you identify with having to make a tough decision and not having all the information and not even I mean, you had to be young. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like making a decision that you're really not emotionally equipped Mm -hmm. to make too. And that's, you know, for women, a lot of it. Let me ask you a question. Since the ruling recently, what kind of conversations have you had? Or I I know it's just recently, but are you having different conversations now with women on, on either side and people on either Um, side? Yeah. So, you know, at at the center today is kind of first day back Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, since the ruling on Friday. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, um, what, if anything, changes in, in that realm as far as clients coming in. I know that I personally have been having a lot of conversations, and to be honest, most of those conversations right now 
have been explaining to people all of what the misinformation is that's mm-hmm. out there because there's so you know social media i love social media but man it can be such a problem mm-hmm. with things like this um because there's so much being said about how this is going to mean that women can't get care for miscarriages or they're going to die from ectopic pregnancies and you know there's so much information out there that's just flat out wrong and whether it's that people are intentionally lying about it or they just don't understand and they're you know in indirectly posting misinformation um so i've been doing a lot of correcting of that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. Um, recently, because it, it really, you know, it, it doesn't impact miscarriages at all. It doesn't impact ectopic pregnancies at all. Women are still and will always be able to get appropriate medical care for those things. Um, this has to do with elective abortion only. Um, so it, that those have been mostly my conversations right now. Um, and then a lot of, you know, well, what does this mean for Arizona and, you know, what are our laws? And, and there's still some uncertainty in the state of Arizona about what this is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So coming back, like, to your story and then where we are today, um, something, as we just talked a little bit before coming on air, was the idea that you want the church to be stepping up. And right. yet, and yet, your story was like in a, the church kind of mm-hmm. was screwed you over. I mean, right. or at least a pastor of the it, church. And so, yeah. So tell me about that. I mean, how do you reconcile your own story with what you think the church could be doing now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, I definitely would say that I think the church needs to be bold enough to speak about the issue. Um, you know, I think a lot of times it's shy to, well, I think there's a lot of reasons why pastors and, and church leadership may shy away from it. Depending on the age of the pastors and leadership in the church, it's entirely possible that they've been involved in an abortion themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't healed from it, mm-hmm. um, they're probably not going to be willing to talk about it. We do abortion recovery retreats through Hands of Hope. And in the five years that we've been doing these retreats, we've had three local pastors attend. Yeah. So that's certainly a part of the issue. Um, it's possible that they just don't know how to talk about it. And we hear this a lot. You know, I don't want to talk about the issue of abortion because I know there's people in the church who have had an abortion, and I don't want to hurt them. So, okay, that's valid. But then it's a matter of getting educated on how can you address mm-hmm. the issue of the sanctity of life while still being compassionate and addressing the needs of someone who's maybe hurting from that decision. Mm. Um, and then there's certainly the, well, it's a political issue and we don't want to talk about politics. Yes, it's a political issue, but in my view, politics has hijacked it. Yes. Um, yep. It's a moral mm-hmm. issue. It's a moral issue. And right. it is a spiritual issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be talked about. So I think that if, if the church was willing to be open and have conversations and talk about this issue, that would go a long way, um, certainly, in, in helping, um, because it, it makes the church a safe place then to not only talk about it if they've already had one, but if they find them, somebody finds themselves pregnant, 
and not sure what to do. If your church is openly talking about mm-hmm. unexpected pregnancy and abortion, then you know that that's a safe place to get help. And it's interesting that we can talk about the wrongness of a lot of different sins. And shame. And shame. People, and right? Shame, shame women. People. Yeah. Right. And, but, and, but, but some of them we can kind of like overlook, oh, we we'll just forgive and it's easy. Mm-hmm. But somehow we create it. We do re- amplify the shame around this mm-hmm. because we might take a really strong stance about sexual morality. And then when, right. when, when most people don't live up to that standard, somehow they just, there's no place for them in the church. Right. And how do we create well, a place most, for them? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say most other sins, if you will, can be hidden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you become pregnant because of being sexually immoral, it's on display for all to see. Yep. Lori, you're... So it does a lot of times make it easier to say, well, I'm just going to have an abortion and, and then I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. Lori, this is, I feel like there's so much more here, but this has been a fantastic <laughs> conversation. This is what our listeners need to be mm-hmm. hearing. Thank you so much for, for being on our show and, and sharing your story and sharing uh, practical things, that w- ways we can think about this in a deeper way. And how do people, if they're, if they're finding themselves going, I need some help, I need somebody to come alongside me, how do they find you? Um, with, they can go to the Hands of Hope website, so it's handsofhopetucson.com, um, and then there's ways, there's information there on getting a hold of specific staff people, um, getting involved in volunteering, scheduling an appointment, all of those types of things. Lori, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you and your ministry to these to women and men and counseling. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Amplify Peace, educating, immersing, training, and launching peacemakers to build united communities. And by Care Portal, a platform connecting the needs of children and families in crisis to the local church. 